This is episode number 783 of The Next Step, November 10th, Veterans Day, 2023. Hi, this is Gia, welcoming you to a 16th season of The Next Step with Father Voskin, the acclaimed podcast series about spirituality through orthodoxy, brought to you by Apostle.net. The next step is a step, a stride, moving us forward. Here, Father Voskin provides his unique and distinctive voice for Armenian Orthodoxy, as providing an intelligent and practical answer to the challenges of life, based on the solid principles of love, faith, and hope as expressed by Jesus Christ. The next steps are serious, fun, informative and most of all relevant, as religion should be. So turn up the volume and get ready to take the next step. Defining moment. What was your defining moment in your lifetime that defined you the rest of your life? Do you have a moment such as that? I think there's some collective ones. For me, the uh, assassination of President Kennedy. I remember that distinctly. I was seven years old, young kid, and I remember being in, I I went to public school, and in public school, believe it or not, in the United States, public school, 1963, the teacher ran into our room and said, the president's been shot. I want all the children, put your heads down on your desk and pray, pray for the president. Yeah, advocating prayer right in public school. I'll never forget that. And of course, uh, watching the nation as it moved, uh, distinct, distinct visuals in my mind on on the television. Now, now this was during the 60s, a very... um, you know, there were so many things going on that really defined us, but that was a defining moment for me. Of course, there was the assassination of his brother, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King. We landed a man on the moon before the decade was over. There were so many things going on in the 60s, but the Kennedy assassination. But all of these things that I've mentioned are collective. In other words, it, I'm not the only one that had his life defined by that moment. And, um, you know, I'm not using that word defined haphazardly. I mean it. It defines us as who we are. We remember these things. They leave scars on us. And we react to those scars. We itch those scars, right? And those scars, sometimes they heal, but they leave, leave little images behind. And so that's what I mean by define. It's not like I'm overwhelmed by the Kennedy assassination and I <laughs> I sit there looking into different conspiracy theories, but it plays on you as did many of the things in the 60s, 70s. So don't forget that in the 70s we had a, a, a resigning um, uh, president who resigned in the middle of a scandal. And so these scandalous events, they diminish your trust in government institutions and so on and so on. So these things all define who you are. But these things that I've, I've mentioned, and specifically the Kennedy, is it's not just mine. It's not only me. Uh, it, it's Many, many thousands of people, I don't know millions, but thousands of people had their lives defined by these moments. Personal definition. Is there something that personally happened to you that defines you? I I would imagine that many people who have experienced trauma, for instance, it's unique to them. 
maybe not to everyone else. These are defining moments. For me, it was in 2006. It was in Rwanda. Uh, and I've shared this with you, my, my listeners. 2006, I'm in Rwanda. I'm in the capital after a 23-hour flight getting there, they take us to this genocide museum. And there in that museum, on the walls, are pictures of genocide survivors, genocide victims, pictures of the atrocity. And I start reading the narratives that are next to these pictures. And the narratives are exactly, exactly to the detail of the narratives that I heard from my grandparents who witnessed the first genocide of the 20th century. So here I was in 2006 looking back at the genocide of Rwanda and basically I had one foot in the first genocide of the 20th century and one foot in the last genocide of the 20th century. And at that museum I'm looking and I'm seeing that there were so many different genocides. It was a museum dedicated to the genocides. And one of the surprises there was, this is a defining moment when the lady came up to me, the curator or one of the administrators, docent, I think they're called docents. And the docent came up to me and she's watching me read these things and she's troubled that I'm troubled you know I'm, I've got tears in my eyes I'm sobbing as I'm reading these stories and remembering my grandparents and she says what's wrong and I tell her you know I'm, I'm a grandchild of genocide survivors and she goes which genocide that which genocide was a defining moment for me because I realized that here we are 100 years after the Armenian genocide and we are still resolving things by killing we are resolving our differences, not by killing, but by mass executions, annihilations of not only people, but of entire tribes, entire gene pools, genocide. I mean, wild, right? It's a defining moment for me. I realized that, wow, if nothing else, that that's the purpose of my life is to get this story out and get it out to a point where we say enough is enough. We fought for peace all of our lives. We were, yes, interesting, right? The way we say that, we fight for peace. But how do you fight for peace? Do you fight it with more fire? Or do you fight it with a hose? And that fight for peace has been really the struggle that I've gone through. I've, I've shared that with you. What do we do? How do we fight for peace? Uh, people say fight fire with fire. I say fight fire with a hose. Fight it with, with water. And can we do that? Is it a realistic? Is it a realistic alternative to what we have out there as far as uh, wars? I'm completely, completely baffled at this moment because here we are in 2023 and we are still, we still continue, continue to resolve our situations, not only with more fire, but greater fire. And case in point, we saw what happened in Artsakh, in Nagorno-Karabakh. i got to start using, for our Armenian listeners, Armenian speaking, we, we refer to Nagorno-Karabakh as Artsakh. We've got to go back and refer to it as Nagorno-Karabakh, because on the world 
stage. That's what it's known as. And so sometimes I've, I've spoken to many people and I'll talk about Artsakh and they look at you in a blank expression. It's Nagorno-Karabakh for the rest of the world. And yes, we do need to explain it to the rest of the world. That's part of the apostle ministry, right? It's going beyond the Armenians. Like, let's talk about this to other people. Like if you're going to have a museum, you don't put it in Glendale. You put it in Washington, right? Like we know our story. So Nagorno-Karabakh, there we are. Um, 2023, executions, exile. People are exiled. We are at the rate of 100,000 people were taken out of their homes and are now refugees finding themselves in Armenia. I just spoke with the archbishop yesterday who just returned from Armenia, and he said the situation is grave. There are people, but he's very hopeful because he sees the goodness in people, the goodness of people coming together and helping. But still, the numbers are are extensive, 100,000 and the system within Armenia, can, can it handle can it handle 100,000? Well, that happened just about a month, month and a half, two months ago when Ar- Artsakh um, uh, surrendered the lands and Armenians were forced out. And they were killed. They were, the, the Armenians there were killed. The rest of them were exiled. And I say this because a month later, not even a month later, it was a few weeks later, I guess October 7th, when Israel was attacked by Hamas. And immediately Israel got up and they said, okay, we're going to take care of Hamas once and for all. And then, surprise, surprise, I mean, I, I was really shocked. I know that America was an Israeli ally, and they call Israel a democracy, even though we all know that it's not democratic in the way that we understand democracy here in the United States. In other words, it's not that freedom that we have. But still, I understand the idea that there are there are alliances that we have in this world. But I never expected, I never expected the president of the United States to get up and say that no matter what Israel does, we will be behind them. And that was very troubling for me because here we are, my whole life has been about, has been defined by this genocide of the the 20th century, my grandparents having to listen to the stories, having to see the sadness in their eyes, in fact, just A week ago, I was reading a small, small little journal entry that my mom, before she passed away, she had taken some of her most meaningful journal entries about life after the genocide and had had shared that with us, her children. And I was reading this small little passage in which she said the hardest part for her growing up was the holiday season. And it wasn't hard for her because she had brothers, sister, she had cousins, but she'd have to look at her parents, her parents who had lost everything at the genocide, and to see others getting together with family. And she described it as a melancholy. melancholy. They would be in a melan- uh, melancholy mood 
it's not sadness, but, you know, you're just kind of quiet, contemplative. You realize that, you know, you don't have family. You lost everybody. You lost parents. You lost brothers, sisters. And here you are in a new environment and creating a life. And so I'm reading this. I'm thinking about all this. I'm thinking about what's go- what we grew up with, the stories of the genocide. And then here we are, 2023. And we are, we are resolving our situations with the only form that we know, which is let's go blast the hell out of them. Let's go and just kill them off. An eye for an eye. And what, what did we expect? Yeah. But out of the Christian community, you expect a little bit more. And this is where, this is what I'm talking about today. This is what I want to talk about. If you've listened to the next step, even for a little bit, you know that we, we talk about the need for peace as this hallmark of our existence. It's, it's what we have to strive for. Jesus was born and on the night of his birth, it was says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This was why he came. Peace on earth. And it's interesting because a couple weeks ago, I saw this advertisement. It says, send Bibles to the troops. The troops. And tomorrow's Veterans Day here in the United States. And it is uh, opportunity for us to thank the veterans, those of them who sacrificed their lives, who gave their lives, and fought the good fight. And you never, 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 never blame somebody for doing that because in many ways you're compelled to do it. You live in a country and you are called to service and our hat's off to them. But what I'm saying is, can we think of different ways of resolving situations? Are there better platforms by which we can resolve our differences? Not only differences, our arguments with one another. Obviously, you're going to have arguments. You have arguments in your families, (laughs) let alone it's going to happen in, in countries, in the world, countries coming together. Of course, there's going to be arguments disagreements. How do you resolve them? Just by bombing them, by killing them? And so I read this advertisement, send Bibles to the troops. And I thought to myself, what? Send a Bible to the troop? If you send the Bible to a troop, well, at least my Bible, I would put down my weapon if I read the Bible. Not necessarily, right? (laughs) that's where we run into a problem. You've got this Old Testament that's filled, filled, filled with an eye for an eye uh, story. Like, okay, you go there, Hamas comes in, okay, you now have the right to go and bomb and to annihilate everybody over there. And the Old Testament will back you up. We read of David and Goliath. Poor little David. He was a little guy. Goliath the giant. But he put him down. We read about the Jews and the Egyptians. And the Red Sea and God, you know, takes care of the Jews by opening up the parting the Red Sea. Moses standing there. But not for the not for the Egyptians. And you start believing that all of a sudden for God, 
there's favorites. It's like when you watch somebody playing baseball and before he goes up and he's ready to 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 um to take a bat, to take a to hit at the ball, you know, he makes the sign of the cross like God be with me, not against <laughs> not with the other team. And then meanwhile the the guy the pitcher over there, you know, he has his prayer too. So, like, which side is God going to be on? Who's going to... And, you know, if the guy hits a strike, then God was with the pitcher. If the guy hits a home run, God was with the with the batter. Well, that's what the Old Testament is all about. It's about somehow God being with this group of people that have seen all kinds of difficulties and atrocities. And it's a beautiful story actually, a beautiful story of what happens when you're loyal to God. I don't doubt that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But it is not the Christian message. And this is, I think, the the difference in Christianity. We have somehow aligned ourselves in this narrative that Jesus is a continuation of Judaism. He's not. He's not. It's completely different. When you read or you hear the Beatitudes, you understand something completely different. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? The poor in spirit? No, not the high and mighty. In fact, the next sentence is, Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Think about this. When you're looking at things that are playing out on on the world scene, on the world stage, I mean, think about it for a moment. Mercy? Are you showing mercy when you're going and executing people? Blessed are the pure in heart, says Jesus, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, how could you put that in the hands of a, of a soldier out there, right? And say, okay, now pick up the weapon. Well, obviously, you're not giving them the, the the words of Jesus. You're giving them this whole collective story in which Jesus is being defined in a New Testament. And, the, and there's something to be said that the, we, we've got to make that distinction because it is not the same story. I mean, think about what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Okay, so he's fulfilled them. They're fulfilled. He is telling you what the new order is. What you have to what what you have to be looking for. He tells you what the days of old were were about, and he tells you about something new. Things that you have to look for in your life. He says, you have heard that in days of old, this is what was said. But I'm telling you that this is what it means. That's a very, very big difference. Take, for instance, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be danger of judgment. But I say to you, okay, let's go back, okay? You have heard, this is the Old Testament, you have heard you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be in danger of judgment. Okay, we, we got that. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Now, what what does Raka mean? It means (laughs) empty head. Tadar kuluch. It's interesting, right? Raka. In other words, if you put down your brother, you'll be in danger of the council. But whoever says, fool, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. In other words, he's bringing it down to this point of anger, not just murder, but the point of anger. And then he goes on and makes another statement. He says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, there's something more important than the worship of God. And that's namely reconciliation with one another. And he goes on and goes on about about how different it is. Now, I'm not here to to put wedges between people. I'm just saying that if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you have to be in that manner that that alignment of peace. Many years ago, there was this cute little way that people would define their Christianity. I thought it was very nice. WWJD, they would say. There'd be little posters, there'd be little pins, little heart ornaments that would say WWJD. What would Jesus do? That if I'm in a crisis, if I'm in a moral dilemma, if I have to make a decision, let me think, what would Jesus do? I'm not really sitting well with my brother. I'm not doing well with my parents. What would Jesus do? Well, he would reconcile, right? So you would think, what would Jesus do? And I I turned that around at that time, and I, I shared this. I wrote about it, too. Can we come up with a new statement? WWJS. Who would Jesus shoot? In other words, if you gave Jesus a gun, who would he go out there and shoot? WWJB, if you put Jesus in a plane, who would he bomb? I mean, it's absurd. These are absurd, absurd questions. Obviously, nobody, because everyone is his child. Everyone is his child. We have to start thinking in in these terms. We are in we are in the twenty first century. We shouldn't be solving our situations with um, with archaic means, and especially archaic means that back in the uh, uh, in the tw- in the twentieth century, which was called genocide, and we're doing it again, and we're backing it. Let me put a let me put a comma right there, okay? Because I have so much more I want to share with you, and I hope you're with me right now. I always play a song of the day that gives us a little bit of time to reflect on what was said, give us time to digest, and then we'll be back. And gives me a time to get, fill up my coffee too. So today I'm going to play a song that um, not the whole century ago. But it's by a group that was around about half a century ago, 50, 55 years ago, 60 years ago. The Beatles. And, of course, you know what I'm talking about because it's been talked about ad nauseum for the last couple of weeks. They just put together a brand new a brand new song with artificial intelligence. No, it's not, it's not a phony song. They took some... 
tapes that were around, and tapes are the old form by which we would record, not digital, but tapes, and they would have all kinds of noise on there, and uh, they took the tapes of John Lennon, his voice, they had some riffs from George Harrison, the two band members who are no longer with us, and the two band members that are with us, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, they took these tapes and they took this artificially intelligent means of cleaning up those tapes, and together they composed a new song. It's called Now and Then.
Now and then, 2023 is the year. <laughs> We're hearing this from a group that was around in the 1960s. In fact, talk about defining moment. That, too, was one of the defining moments when I saw the Beatles for the first time. They appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show, and it was February 9th. I remember that specifically. And where I was, what I did in 1963. Yes, definitely a a year for defining moments, right? A few months later, Kennedy was assassinated. Ah, what times we had. Anyway, Beatles, there they are, um, putting it all together, artificial intelligence. I'm very excited at this point because we are now moving into some really incredibly creative spaces and work at epostle.net. In fact, last Saturday, we had our first, first ever test in the metaverse. We got together, six or seven of us got together, and we tested out this space where Epostle will be working. Oh, I, I don't know. The, the, <laughs> the possibilities are literally Endless, endless possibilities where we will have spaces that can that will hold memories, spaces that can be creative, spaces where we could get together and put together communities. I am very excited about it. I think it's a matter of time before these spaces become just the way of life. I kind of liken it to, uh, those of you who are a little bit older, not too much older, we'll remember a time before the the iPhones came out and you had your BlackBerry and you loved that BlackBerry. Before that, you had the flip phones. Before that, you had these little paging devices and you loved them. How can I live without a pager? You'd get a page and then you'd run over to a payphone, stick in some quarters and you'd talk to the person. You'd say, wow, this is fantastic. And then came these little phones, flip phones. They were so much fun. I love those little flip phones. You could stick them in your pocket and then you just open them up and you talk. That was the way of communicating. Then we had blackberries because along with talking, we could start taking notes on this cool little (laughs) um, keyboard that was tiny enough, but our fingers could reach those little uh, those little keys on there, blackberries. Oh, those were fun. I had one called a um, a blackjack. Yeah, I forgot who put it out. I didn't go the blackberry route. It was called the blackjack, and it worked on a. If I remember right, it worked on a Microsoft operating system. Anyway, I digress. And then the iPhone came out. I said, "Well, yeah, who's going to deal without a keyboard?" That was the first complaint. What are you going to do? You're going to, you're not going to have tactile response. You know what is that? It's a keyboard on the screen. And then iPhone said, "Wait, you could do other things too. You could take pictures. Well, but I have my phone, right? Wait, you could do other things too. You can calculate. You can go on the internet. You don't need your desktop anymore." And here we are. What is it? Only 15 years, 16 years since the iPhone came out. And it's completely revolutionized and changed our way of life. And I'm liking what we're doing here right at that point where we are now on the verge of something new. And we're, this is the, the new web experience. We're going to be in a metaverse. And our first, first 
tests were very promising. And I'll tell you what the best part about the test was. There was about eight of us in this in this room, and all eight of us were over the age of, um, well, no, there was one that was under 30, but everybody else was 30 and over with the majority of us between 50 and 60, you know. And we didn't have any problems. There were no hiccups even. I mean, we just kind of like walked in there, looked around, did our work, talked to one another. We uh, saw what the capabilities were. We we tested out all the little things, uh, the nuances of it, and it worked. It was working. And <laughs> yes, people over, over 50 were able to maneuver through the metaverse in a very nice way. Anyway, very, very exciting times. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you soon. Coming up, coming up. But for right now, I wanted to share this song with you. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you've got a a band that was so popular. Oh, that's not even the word for it. I've, you know, it, it, it's beyond what you can believe. When you go into Armenia, there's a small little uh, street I think it's called Pushkin. Yeah, Pushkin Street. And there is a pub there called the Beatles Pub. And I looked at that this last summer. It's got four pictures, uh, one of each of the Beatles, and says Beatles Pub. And I thought to myself, here we are in this ancient land, and with all of the ancient iconography that's all around us in these monasteries and these churches, these four icons of these four uh, Beatle members are more popular than anything else that you could find in that country. In other words, that's that's how far their reach is. Uh, I remember my grandmother, who was a genocide survivor, would be in our house, and I've caught I caught her once humming. The Beatles yesterday, yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away. I don't know, <laughs> you know, was, were her troubles far away? Is that why she was singing it? I, I might venture to say it was because it was such a beautiful tune. It spoke to her. Here was somebody from the early part of the 20th century connecting with the Beatles. And then I think about my nieces, their in their early 20s and how they are Beatles fanatics. One of my nieces lives in New York and, she, and she's promised me as soon as I get out there, she's taking me to the uh, Dakota apartments uh, the, where, the, where the Lenin, Lenins lived. And um, it's just exciting. Over 100 years of people and this music touched them. And here they are, two of the band members dead, but by... The, the power of imagination, human imagination, the power of technology at this point in our lives. They are able to put together a brand new Beatles song. Let's get back to our show. Well, we use the first portion of today's show to talk about this extreme situation we find ourselves in. 
namely that we've talked about genocide all of our lives, about, wow, it was horrible that it happened back in 1915 or the Holocaust happened during the Second World War or that Cambodia happened or that Ethiopia happened or that Bosnia Rwanda happened. And what would we do when if we were there? Okay, you don't have to think about that right now. You have to think about we are there right now at a genocide happening. At a genocide that's happening right now in the area that's occupied by the by the Palestinians, in the Gaza Strip. And it is being funded and backed by a huge contingency, namely the United States of America. And I, this is... It's a point of difficulty for me because we did it so carelessly by saying by saying that Israel is our ally, we will do everything we can, and we discounted anything else. Those were the words. We will, no matter what Israel does, we will back them. Now that that's not only dangerous; it's extremely dangerous because this is how these genocides began. And you, I know you're you're saying, okay, well, wait a minute; these are political issues. There's people on the world stage and doing this, and you're a priest, go and worship your god and get out of the way. Okay, that's fine; you could say whatever you want, but to me, that faith has always had a practical dimension. It has to, for it to have meaning in my life. I am guided by the principles of my faith, and the principles of my faith say that peace has to be a higher objective than just going out there and seeking revenge on people. You have to seek peace. You have to work for peace. That comes to me from my religious tradition. That is what the Christian tradition is. That's what armadoxy has always been about. It's been about finding that peace, obtaining that peace, working for that peace, struggling for that peace. And so today we are at that place in our lives where peace is threatened once again. And the alternative is not only a war, it's, it's, on the, it's on the line of genocide because you're basically decided that a group of people cannot exist there and you're just getting rid of that gene pool over there. So how do you reconcile this? What, is the, what are the steps that you take? It was interesting because the president of Turkey got up and he says, well, Hamas. Now, remember, Israel is fighting Hamas, not the Palestinians. They're fighting Hamas, but it just so happens where Hamas is is where all the Palestinians are. And they are at a rate of the UN. These are UN statistics. One child every 10 minutes is being killed. Now, don't forget that children don't get to decide what side they're on. One child every 10 minutes right now. Uh, what is this? This podcast will be probably about an hour long, maybe a little bit less than that. Okay, so five children were killed during the time of this podcast. UN statistics, United Nations statistics, not my own. Okay, so here we are. And we're faced with this reality. What is our answer can you just sit back? Well, 
back in the 60s, where we've been living for the last few minutes we've been talking about it, back in the 60s, there was the Civil Rights Movement. And a champion of the Civil Rights Movement was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a reverend minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his letter from Birmingham jail is just mandatory reading to any Christian. I've always maintained that, and again, I will put it on the show notes today. Read it. He challenges the Christian community. How can you stay quiet? If you are the disciples of Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, how could you condone something known as racism, as separatism? And in the same way, we have to be able to challenge ourselves and say, if we are the disciples of Jesus Christ, how can we condone anything but peace? How can we condone war? How can we condone the annihilation of another group of people? How can we condone killing and not forgiving, not reconciling, not sitting down and being the peacemakers that we are called to be? It is a time right now, today is a day that I have realized it's been coming. Our whole life we've worked for this day. It is a day when the reality of war is all around us. And we cannot stay quiet. That's what the letter from Birmingham Jail is all about. And, you know, you got to read this thing. And um, we're at that point right now in our lives. If we are true, if we want to call ourselves Christian, we need to act as Christians. We need to be the Christian voice. We need to be the voice of Jesus. Who would Jesus shoot? Who would Jesus bomb? Ridiculous. As ridiculous as it is, you have to understand that that's where we're at. We have to be asking that question. And when you receive the answer that he would bomb no one, he would shoot no one, then you are at the starting point of what a Christian needs to do, namely work for peace and goodwill towards all men. It was given to us the night he was born. The angel came down and said, Okay, I have great news for you. In the town of Bethlehem, here he is. Peace on earth, goodwill towards one another, towards men. It's that simple. And we've complicated it. We've complicated. We've added so many dimensions in there that we've we've complicated it by saying, well, if he means this, he doesn't mean that. No, Jesus meant exactly that. We had uh, last week, I was appalled, appalled, one of my favorite singers from the, the early days. I'm not going to say that decade anymore, right? Cat Stevens, more 70s. He was a 70s singer. He, he spoke about beautiful things. Very spiritually awake man who goes by the name of Yusuf Islam. You know, he had a conversion in his life and he came to certain realizations which worked for him and that's great. He has a beautiful voice. But he has absolutely no knowledge of history. At least that's what I figured out last week when he got up in front of a group of people in Istanbul And he started applauding the Ottoman Empire. 
and talked about the Ottoman Empire, how people lived in peace in the Ottoman Empire. This is the Ottoman Empire that perpetuated genocide, that had massacres, the Hamidian massacres. And here's Cat Stevens, beautiful voice, great entertainer, now all of a sudden being projected as this person who's going to talk about historical facts. Amazing. People applauding. You've got the president of Turkey getting up and saying, well, you know, the Hamas, all they are are freedom fighters. And Israel had no business getting rid of freedom freedom fighters. It's interesting because when it happened in Azerbaijan, when the group from Nagorno-Karabakh, the Armenians there, they were seen as terrorists. The president of Turkey rejected the notion that Hamas were terrorists. No, they are just freedom fighters. Yeah. Do you get what politicians do? Do you get what presidents, what governments do? This is what they do. They just sit around and they turn it all around. And Jesus is saying, forget all about that. Forget these people. What you need to understand is we are people. We are all children. We are all children of your heavenly Father. So get the get your act straight. Start learning to live with one another, appreciating one another. And we are at that point right now where if we don't appreciate one another, if we don't step in and we don't say enough is enough, we're going to be in for the end. I'm just appalled by Christian organizations that look at this. I won't even call them the Christian church. Christian organizations who dare to use the name of Jesus Christ. And they'll get up and they'll say, well, this is just part of the biblical cycle, that this is what's been predicted for us. This is what the Bible says has to happen, so we better not stand in the way. We can't work for peace because we'd be standing in the way of the Bible, and the Bible says this is what's going to happen. Armageddon in the book of Revelations, and I don't know what. Folks, get with the program. This is not what God wants. Yes, Jesus Christ said it. Work for peace. He didn't say about Armageddon. Yeah, you read the book of Revelations, which is the book of uh, of prophecy. You're not a prophet. What are you talking about? And yet you've got people with comic book mentality. Really, comic book mentality. I, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, you 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 ride your car. And you press on the brakes and the brakes don't work. You want to find a mechanic who can fix the brake. Where are you going to take your car? You're going to take it to the best dealer that knows how to fix brakes, right? You're not going to take it to some guy who read a magazine article in Popular Mechanics about brake repair. You'd be a fool if you took your car to that man and said fix my brakes you'd be a fool and i think everybody would agree with me right you'd be a fool guy his qualification is he read an article in popular mechanics and now he's an expert on brakes no 
Well, why do we do that with faith? Some guy gets up and they've written something, they've read something, and this is they're the masters of faith. They've never experimented one moment with the words of Jesus Christ who say who who talks about loving one another. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. How wild is that? Well, it's too wild. You can't expect me to pray for them. So instead, what I'm going to do is, you know what? I read a comic book the other day about what Jesus wants me to do. And he wants me to pray for Israel and uh, sit there and wait for Armageddon. So I think I'm going to go that route because it's, it's a lot more, it makes a lot more sense. It's funny. I'm sorry. It's just too funny. But that's what I'm seeing. And this is where we're doing such a disservice to Christianity. We are tying it in with something that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. War has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. And you want the the, the formula for it? WWJS. Who would Jesus shoot? W-W-J-K. Who would Jesus kill? That's how simple it is. Ask yourself. He wouldn't kill the Palestinians. He wouldn't kill the Israelis. He wouldn't kill the Armenians. In fact, he wouldn't kill the Turks. So we need to figure out a way of talking. And we haven't exhausted all the possibilities there. The answer is not to just stand up and say, well, we'll back whatever you do, including genocide. Oh, I'm glad the piano player is here. I'm glad he's here. Gives me a chance to uh, let Susie make her announcement. I'll be back in a couple moments for some parting shots. Before getting back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vosgen. Thank you, Susie, for that message. And thank you, all of you, for putting up with us. You know, we're going through quite a bit. I hope you're listening to our daily shows. We started a new series called One Minute for Standard Time. Yes, we abandoned Daylight Savings Time just a... just a week ago. And since then, I've been doing these one-minute little energizers to get your day started off. So I hope you're following those podcasts. They're available on ePostle, on all the standard places that you find podcasts. We're on um, we're on Spotify as well as Pandora. Pretty exciting. 
So uh, listen to those. Those are really, really fun to do. They're exciting for me. It's a new chapter in Epostle. And the bigger, bigger chapters is slowly forming. Let me say for my listeners right now, if any of you would like to get in on some of the testing we're doing with Web 3.0 and in the metaverse, drop me a line, okay? I'm at info at epostle.net, and I could certainly point you to how to take part in some of the testing, okay? That's coming up in the next few weeks. We'll be doing that and hopefully have some great announcements by the year's end. Last week, we had some friends from World Vision, some former friends, new friends, definitely new friends. World Vision came to the Western Diocese Cathedral, St. Leon, Levantian's Cathedral. And I was honored to be able to share the the day's liturgy, as well as homily. I'll put a link on today's show notes so you could check out what was said. And I think it's very important that we keep these relationships with people that are working for peace, actively working for peace, and that is World Vision. Very, very uh, proud to be partners with them. Okay, that does it for today's show. Um, I hope you'll take to heart what I said. I'm not even going to say I hope you enjoyed what I, what we had to say today. It's not an enjoyable topic, but I hope you'll take it to heart and make some decisions, most importantly, to practice your Christianity as Jesus Christ has asked us to do. On behalf of the wonderful team that put this together, I want to invite you to come by our website, epostle.net. Come by daily. There's always things happening. Check out our shows on Sunday called Giragi. It's a way to start off your, your week. And check out the Basement Tapes with Susanna Bogosian. That's taking place on a weekly basis. On behalf of Susie, our producer, and myself, we look forward to seeing you again next time when we will take the next step. And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. The management and production crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. Vpostle.net. Apostolic evangelism from electronic and standard universe. forgot to ask you if uh, you, you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, bye.